Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Good morning, South Africa. It is another wonderful Tuesday morning, which means the IRR show is back. That's right. My name is Big Daddy Liberty, your favorite fat boy. I'm in the studio, of course, or, or rather I'm in the virtual studio, of course, <laughs> with um, Sarah Garn. Sarah, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning. It's a uh, cold, wet and rainy and I quite like those sort of days when it's distinctly rainy, not just so, so, sort of cloudy. It makes you feel like you really have to hunker down. Indeed. As about to like, autumn is definitely saying, hey, I'm here and uh, it is definitely here. Guys, good morning again and welcome to the IRR show. As usual, on the show, we'll have a discussion um, in terms of the breakdown sorry, of our show. We always begin by having a look at what the news was in the week that was, rather, sorry, and, um, you know, what made the headlines, what got you interested, what piqued your interest, what are you thinking about right now? Um, you're welcome, of course, to uh, give us a shout-out if you are uh, able to by going to my social media or the uh, FM social media, drop us a comment, what's been on your mind? Um, because we'll tell you what's been on our minds as we watch the news headlines Um and we discussed the various headlines in the previous week. And, of course, in the major segment of our show, we'll be in conversation with Mr. Russell Lamberti, economist and analyst at ETM Macro Advisors, um, as we look at some of the economic impacts of, you know, restricting a society like this. And we're limited to South Africa. We'll also look at the global economy. You know, like what, what, are, the, what are we expecting uh, things to look like post this lockdown, and of course we'll have him give input around that. Um, and of course, as usual, we'll end the show by looking at what uh, we envision we should be paying attention to in the news week ahead. Um, Sarah, before we go to our first break in a couple of minutes, um, it, it really has been an interesting week, hasn't it? There's been some movement in, in this corona uh, there has been some movement. Um, I think the criticism with the proposal to limit, to lower the lo- lockdown is that the first move down from level five, which we're at, to level four, is there's it's barely there's a barely a difference, and uh, it suggests possibly one of two things: that one is that the the government's very nervous, and the other is it, it doesn't enough trust its own citizens to do what is necessary. Um, right. To make the economy flow, and, and we were talking about this just before we went on air. You know that there is a a serious question brewing, um, and I think that the DA, because um, they also released their. Uh, perhaps let me quickly set this up before we go to break, and we'll pick it up mm. after the break. Um, you know, we're, we're moving to a risk-based um, approach towards the lockdown, and the government has opened up um, for comments. Uh, of these five stages, where we're moving from currently level five to level four. And obviously, we've now seen other players inside to give their comments around what level four should look like. Um, we're going to mm. pick that conversation up after the break, because I think it's quite important uh, to chew on this one. Guys, short break, and we'll see you after the short messages. Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008. Hello, how's it? Welcome back to the IRR show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty and I'm 
of course, joined by Sarah Khan. Before the break, we're going into essentially what has made the news week um, and some of the top headlines that I think we need to break down and provide a bit of analysis and opinion on. Um, the big one, I suppose, is the move from level five lockdown, um, or rather just a, uh, a one-size-fits-all total lockdown, if I can call it that, to this risk-based risk-based adjusted strategy that the government is going into, where it argues that there should be five levels of a lockdown, and that we're moving to a level four. Sarah, before the break, we're basically mentioning that because now the contact department, um, sorry, I cannot think of that acronym right now, <laughs> the contact <laughs> department has called for, um, uh, you know, comment on the, the their adjusted strategy, you're now beginning to hear other voices chip in um, and provide, you know, some kudos, but mostly, you know, some criticism. Um, yeah. And the, the top one, I suppose, is the lack of difference between uh, level four and level five. Can um, you just quickly come in here? Um, yeah, it's a, the, 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 I actually wanted to reserve this for asking Russell about it because the very the oh, theme sure. of our discussion with him is, is the government's levels versus the, his his proposals as to what yeah. it should look like. But essentially, what what the uh, just to say, what my sense of the of, of the various levels is that they they categorise the the businesses that can come on stream at various stages, um, but without my my sense is that without knowing what it takes for a business to be, to run, in other words, the service providers that support it may come in at another level. Um, yeah. I know that e-commerce is being uh, um, given space. Up to an extent, some e-commerce and not other, and how that is justifiable. And I think I think Russell will give I think what I think is a, a very common, much more common sense view. But it also does it also does imply that you've you've got to trust your uh, your, your citizenry. Um, yeah. And, no, so, sorry, okay. sorry. I was about to say. Look, I I I think I agree with that assessment, and uh, it's what I was alluding to before the break that we had a conversation about before we we. Uh, came on air, and that is the idea of who matters at a time like this. Mm. Is it the securocrat, tough as nails, tough talking um, politician, you know, with the bluster of you know uh, hell and 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 brimstone, or, or, or will befall you if you break the rules of us, the said political elites, or is it the actual citizen? who, once you are transparent with them and you outline the problem, i.e. coronavirus, infection rate, highly infectious, um, X, Y, Z are steps you should be taking to avoid this, including initially a you know restrictive lockdown, mm. you trust that individual to be self-interested enough to be um, to be driven by self-preservation to follow the actual rules, right? And we were having this particular conversation before, on, before we went online, and I said, even the government's own research by the Human Sciences Research Council uh, recently released showed that 99% of South Africans um, adhere to the lockdown rules. Mm-hmm. 99%. Why? Because we gave South Africans information, we showed them why this is a big problem, and based on good information and transparency and a good will, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people said, yeah, I'm totally going to look after myself. I'm totally going to look after my family and we'll, we'll adhere to this, even though it's yeah. tough. I mean, some scary numbers were coming out of that same research. Um, yeah. You know, a quarter of South Africans basically unable, um, uh, became food insecure um, during this period. But even through mm. that, they, they said, mm. look, there is a greater... Uh, reason for this. So it does beg the question, why do you now need 
uh, force and the potential mm. um, the specter of violence to to lock people uh, down under a new level. Down. I think I've actually had another thought as to why you need it, and I think it's the, it's almost a default position of the government. It's actually that the government, it's not, the, the people are not at issue, it's that the government is insecure, and the government's mm-hmm. not sure if it could handle any, um, any sort of aggression or conflagration or anything of that sort. So it's going, it's mm-hmm. having, it's got that first in mind, and is worrying less about whether, um, you know, we, we deserve to be talked to, talked to, to at the same level as they do, it's um, it's it's it's. I think it's more. To, I think it's. I think it's more to do to do with that. But if, if I'd like, can I change tack uh, uh, just in sure. these few sort of general moments? Um, um, Rama, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa gave his Freedom Day speech, and and this was a reading. This was a feeling of ah, oh, things are coming back to normal. It was ponderous. It was uh, full of homilies. It was it was largely focused on how the privileged whoever the privileged are, must uh, have regard to the poor who don't have the benefits that the privileged have during this lockdown. Um, and, uh, and, and, he, and he said, and this, this really cracked me up, he said the virus has exposed the, the inequality. And I thought, which planet is he living on? Um, the implication that somehow two things. One is somehow that we were unaware of the inequality beforehand, which is insulting. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that um, what, what inequality that's been exposed for the umpteenth time is an inequality that entirely lies in the hands of the ANC. Mm. No, absolutely, uh, absolutely. You can't have 26 years. And this, by the way. Um, the, the reality of this is beginning to dawn on a lot of people in a lot of a few parts of this country, rather, where it, it's been obscured by the good PR of of this lockdown, and that is you can't replace 26 years of corruption, incompetence, and sheer maladministration with fantastic PR with you know with a few good ministers. Uh, you can't replace mm. that. Um, a good example right now is the minister, the health minister's visit to the Eastern Cape, where he just realized after the presentation by local officials that there's just, there's no preparation in that part of the world at all. Not because, Mm. you know, there's no will, there is a will, but just the incompetence by those who've been placed, often deployed Mm. by political um, means, impositions, means that you've compromised the safety of millions of South Africans in that part of the world. And it's not just that part of the world either. Um, you know, the reports that I read said the minister was furious when he realized just how much of a, um, a nonsense jamboree is happening mm. down there to the point where in that same visit, he asked one of his officials that he flew in with to actually stay in that part of the world and oversee um, mm. things like the, you know, the rolling out of PPE and the like. So there's serious questions that need to be asked of, you know, the ruling party. There's serious questions that need to be asked of all politicians, really, because if you remember, mm. they all lined up at the beginning of this thing um, to almost uncritically say, yeah, look, we endorsed the lockdown mm. and blah, blah, blah. But we, no one really took a moment to say, is government fully ready? Um, have you been able to put aside the 26 years of of bad governance to then, in a bad time like this, have good uh, structures in place. Um, sorry, we must take a break. Um, but after the break, I think we'll pick this conversation up and more with our guest, Mr. Russell Lamberti from uh, ETM Macro Advisors. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life.
the IR team, um, you know, those are, uh, 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 radio who care because we, we're giving you really quality guests. As I mentioned before the break, we're joined by Mr. Russell Lamberti, columnist and analyst at um, ETM Macro Advisors. Russell, good morning, good morning, hello. Sisle, Sarah, it's uh, really great to be with you guys, man. Really good to join and you. Fantastic, fantastic. Russ, we were sort of chewing the fight with Sarah before the break um, about some of the, you know, the, the developments around uh, not only government's response to COVID, but really um, what things have looked like e- looked like, excuse me, economically um, and what they're likely to look like going forward. And I think you are an mm. excellent um, source on this particular issue. Perhaps I'm going to just ask one question and I'll, I'll let Sarah take over from there, um, which is, <laughs> look, we've been having this conversation and we, we, we've had it on my show, for example, the Big Daddy Liberty Show, around, you know, the, the relationship with civil li- liberties and a, a, an economy in a free society and how that has taken a massive knock. Um, worldwide and in South Africa during this period. Um, what does a, a, what has suffered the most, I think, um, or rather, no, excuse me, two steps back, who has suffered the most during this lockdown? Because it surely hasn't necessarily been those who are more well off and the middle class. It seems to have been the poorest of us who are just caught unprepared, uh, by this, um, lockdown. Yes, yeah, Sinclair, look, I think the, the, the simplest way to think about this is, is, is sort of on two dimensions. I guess the first dimension is who lost their jobs immediately, um, and, and which industries saw, um, their revenues decline the most. And, and some industries have gone to zero, right? So we know, like, for example, the restauranting, the restaurant industry, certain restaurants, certain, um, you know, the hospitality industry, hotels, entertainment, these sorts of uh, sectors, um, pretty much went to zero from from day one, um, even before lockdown, they were plummeting. Um, and of course, all their staff and all the people involved uh, supplying those industries have been incredibly hard hit. So I guess that's the first dimension to think about this on. Um, the, the second dimension is, is who has savings and who doesn't have savings. Mm. Um, I suppose as, as a sort of subcategory of that of that um, dimension, you, you can talk about who has a, for now, a, a guaranteed salary and who has to earn wages, who, who earns their money by showing up every day to work and, uh, you know, and earning their money. And so obviously you get um, your, your uh, hospitality sector workers, but then of course the, the next big category are people who have very, very low levels of savings. And that is the large bulk of very, very poor South Africans um, poor Africans, you know, as you see across the continent, some some African countries are doing draconian lockdowns as well, um, and of course the globe is doing draconian lockdowns in in one form or another. Uh, America, Europe, uh, China, and this is obviously going to have huge huge impacts on Africa. And I think what hasn't been thought through here is the is the uh, potential rise in in poverty levels across this continent. Not just in our country, but we think north of our border as well. Um, and I think what hasn't been thought through very carefully is what a rise in poverty levels is going to do to health, to mortality statistics, um, and not just for very old people and very sick people, but for the youngest and the most vulnerable. You know, when, when poverty increases, infant mortality goes up, um, uh, child mortality goes up. 
susceptibility to tuberculosis, susceptibility to to uh, malaria, you know, all these things. So um, I'm really worried, and I think, unfortunately, that this this is once again, uh, like so many things, falling disproportionately mm. on the most vulnerable. Uh, Russell, can I just pick up on on that question because. Uh, the problem with having the severe lockdown that we have is, one, is that we're not likely to, in the time we've used or the time we've had available, to be able to ramp up probably enough. And the other thing is being in, in Africa, we've got a large young population who on this occasion is not affected to any great extent by the disease. Mm. It's really a disease that will uh, affect the elderly. But... Uh, the effort that's going, the, the extraordinary amount, the effort that's going into that sort of disease, as opposed to the um, the, the, the diseases that affect children. So it's going to now yeah. be reversed. So you run the risk, from what you're saying, of really putting a larger group of much younger people at risk in the long run. Yeah, I think I think this is such a key point. You know, the data that we're seeing on mortality out of Europe, um, not only does it show that um, people under the age of 15 um, are are not affected um, by by coronavirus, but it actually shows that their mortality is is lower at the moment than than yes. than ordinarily would be, which perhaps is some you know some sort of effect of of maybe the lockdowns themselves. Yeah. Um, but the point is that there's there's absolutely no significant discernible increase in risk, really for people under the age of of forty, and certainly yes. once you go below thirty. Now. Um, to your point, what we're seeing, and the World Health Organization has actually uh, started talking about this, is these lockdowns are limiting the supplies of prevention and treatment uh, for malaria, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, we, we, we maybe uh, trust the World Health Organization slightly less than we might have in the past, <laughs> um, but, but nonetheless, they are, um, they are projecting a potential doubling in malaria deaths this year mm-hmm. which would take us back to 2000 uh, year 2000 levels um so yes i think i think clearly what we're doing is shifting a lot more of the risk now onto the most vulnerable mm-hmm. um and and i think what has become clear and i just want to really emphasize this point sarah what's become clear since the start of this is is, is the following the justification for lockdowns when you break it down to its bare bones mm-hmm. was based on the fact that we thought that the infection fatality rate mm-hmm. of coronavirus would be somewhere in the region of 3 to 5%, which is a very very big number. Mm-hmm. And we thought we 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 thought that it that it um affected all age groups, that it was a, a significant risk to all age groups. We now know um, as good uh, as good data comes through from Europe and from the United States, that we're probably we're an order of magnitude at least um, too high on that estimate. So instead of three to five percent, it looks more like zero point three to zero point five percent. That's the first point. And the second point is that we now know, again, the data has been very emphatic on this. That um, it does it disproportionately affects uh, the the older age group and particularly people with existing um, bad health conditions. Okay. Those two those two facts should be enough to end the lockdown. The lockdown mm. was based on those two facts. Those have been emphatically proven not to be the case. That 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 alone is sufficient to end this lockdown. So the ongoing lockdowns, to my mind, are the government either simply seeing the wrong data. Um, or and or 
um, using this um, as a way to increase um, state power and to grow the bureaucracy. It's, it's the mm. only way I can see this at this point. Mm. Well, it, it, it takes a slightly, in, in bringing down, so to speak, the lockdown, is the, the, the government's got this five-level plan um, that, that seeks to sort of minimize the lockdown increasingly, if I can say, put it that way. And the first stage going from where we are at level five to level four kicks in at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, my sense of the, the problem, with, first, the, the main problem is that the difference between level five and little, level four is is not particularly great, and we, we have yet to know exactly what they have in mind. But I'm particularly concerned when it sort of says these industries can go back to work, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, is that that, that's coming from a government that actually doesn't know how business or the economy works. Work. Yeah, c- c- correct. And, and I've made this point on a, uh, you know, in a few formats now. Um, the, the way to think about this, this, this government plan that's been proposed is to uh, consider that they have no idea how business and the economy actually functions. Um, they are proposing a sector-based risk approach, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, Firstly, companies do not fit neatly into sectors. Um, The sectorization idea is is a conceptual sort of model of how to think about the economy. Real-world companies are very, very diverse. They have their own specificities. They have their own quirks that sometimes cause them to straddle different sectors, for example. Um, Moreover, what about the uh, what about giving companies the chance to change a sector to change the mm-hmm. sector they're in? Uh, companies can pivot; they can do different things. So lumping companies into a particular sector is a non-starter from a risk perspective. Secondly, um, companies within a sector uh, can look extremely different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, co- companies within a sector have different risk profiles, different technologies. Yeah. They operate in different ways. So to, to think that you can have a sector risk, that mm-hmm. there is one risk for steel manufacturing, for example, is, is just absurd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 I mean, I suppose an additional, uh, problem with that is, is the idea that you can just, that sectors have X risk. You know, mm. is, is, is mm. simply a, a non-starter. Mm. And the final big problem with Asara is that you actually haven't gotten away from the problem that we've had with essentials and non-essentials, mm. um, which is that so-called essential businesses rely uh, crucially on so-called mm. non-essential businesses for their Absolutely. supply and for their revenue and for their demand, Right. So you've just got an intellectually broken model, mm. Um, mm. clearly not thought through by anyone with with a, a, a reasonable and serious understanding of how proper economic linkages actually work and how the mm. how the network of supply and demand actually works. And you've overlaid that with this five level five five risk mm. level alert thing. Mm. Um, the 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 chance for confusion, chaos, uh, corrupt. Corruption, mm. uh, lob- lobbying, um, you name it, is is now rife, and mm-hmm. um, this is this is no way, no way to exit what's been a very very draconian lockdown. No, it's not. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was about to say, uh, Russell. I mean, I've also been saying this online. You know, one also has to remind themselves, as I think we 
often do that not one person or no one entity can really fully um, understand the complexity of of an economy to the point where they can control it and tell us, for example, what is essential, what isn't essential. You know, we speak a lot, you know, in, in the sort of uh, classically liberal world of the idea of, of bounded rationality, the idea that no one person can know yes. everything. That's mm. it's it's, yeah. it's very important in that situation, especially if you, you hold state power. Um, it's very important that in that situation to allow individuals to allow uh, those who operate in this complex environment to be the decision makers at their very level, whatever that level may be. But we're not seeing that that recognition by the states. Oh, we, we're seeing a um, we're going to use state power to coerce what we're saying yeah. is reality. And if you don't do this, and you face the risk of you know, um, I, I hate. Say it like this, but state guns. I mean, we, we've deployed 73,000 additional mm. soldiers on the streets to enforce these rules. Why is this a problem, Russell? Yeah, I mean, I, not not only is it a is it a problem that the state doesn't recognise their own limitations in in, re, in respect of central planning. That that's you don't really expect governments to recognise that, and least of all the ANC, who who has shown. Very, very low uh, appreciation for these kinds of uh, these kinds of matters. What's really concerning to me is how ordinary people um, don't understand this either. How quickly people have been willing to hand over these sorts of decisions to the state, and it's almost as if we didn't really understand what 1994 meant in this mm. country. Um, it's it, it's almost as if people don't really understand. Freedom, and you know, it's you know, we we look at these these dead economists, and people um, sort of might read them once uh, during you know second year university, um, but a, a guy like Friedrich Hayek, his his main point in his famous 1974 Nobel Prize um, economics acceptance speech was that we cannot make these complex calculations. We have a, we, and he said, he said that policymakers and many economists indeed as well have, have what he called a pretense of knowledge. We pretend that we can know uh, from a sort of central planning perspective how to manage the risk of a very complex virus and a very complex economy. Um, the, so, so the problem is not first and foremost that the South African government made the wrong decisions here. That, that is a problem. But the problem, first and foremost, is that we expected them to be able to make the right decision, mm, mm. right? That is the problem. The problem is that we've got the wrong locus of control and the wrong locus of decision-making. So, Cecilia, it's a, it's a critically important point that you raised. Um, risk management is done at the individual level, at the family level, at the community level, and at the corporate level. It is not something that the state can just impose upon 60 million people or in, in, in say the US's case, you know, 340 million people. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's, I think it's this understanding that, that people really need to grab a hold of because when the next similar problem arises, we need to realize that a single person or a single uh, cabinet cannot, simply cannot, ha- doesn't have the capabilities or the resources or the know-how no matter how smart they think they are, to actually make the right uh, risk-based decisions, yeah. Um, Russell, uh, sorry, I'm going to bit tongue-in-cheek, but not entirely. I mean, I see that uh, classically liberal think tanks have not been considered essential services, but uh, we should be because it's, that is, in fact, exactly what our business goes to. 
is is yeah. making is, is putting pressure on and making sure that that liberalism, that freedom, that uh, uh, um, persist and and uh, yes. heavy handedness does not, um, and that's that's. I think the problem is that we, I think you've alluded to the fact that we go to the default of of government, even though we know that government uh, is not is not by and large our friend. Um, we've got to keep our, our, on our toes all the time. And I think it was Hayek who said, and God help us, we're living in this, um, if socialists understood economics, they wouldn't be socialists. <laughs> and that's the problem, isn't it? Uh, we, we, yeah. we, that mind shift has not that, – there's been no mind shift, let's put it that way, economically from the government. Yeah, I think, I think that um, what you see through this whole thing is that – is how difficult people find it to live and to think according to principles. Mm. People seem to just be swayed by the wind. They, they go from pillar to post. Um, there's a new problem that shows up and they kind of, they're unanchored. They're unanchored mm. with a worldview. They're unanchored with an, a, a sound theoretical and ideological perspective. Um, these these things actually matter. You you don't just get to to sway you know, to and fro from, from crisis to crisis. And so um, I, I suppose that it's it's the job ultimately of of uh, you know a think tank like like the IRR. But even even at its core, it's the job of the economist, um, in a, in a sort of philosophical sense, mm. to to show people um, the folly. Of thinking that they can plan things in a central way. Um, Hayek, Hayek said that the curious task of economics is to show men how little they know about what they imagine they can design. Um, and, 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 and I think that that's right. And I think it's the principles of economics, um, that, that give us, should give us uh, what we might call an epistemic humility, an intellectual humility to say, hang on a minute, we, we can't make risk decisions for 60 million South Africans. There's no one size fits all yeah. risk parameter here. There are very, very different people. A farmer in the Karoo has a different risk profile to a street vendor in, uh, in Windsor, you know, in, in, in Joburg. Um, there are simply far too many complex variables here. And the arrogance, the sheer arrogance, not only of the state, but of the people cheerleading the state in this lockdown, mm. to think that that this can be done from a central, uh, sort of by central fiat and central directive. And um, we need to call out this arrogance and we need to uh, call it for what it is and tell it for what it is. And even if there's some good intention behind it, we at the very least need to call out the intellectual error that it is. It's, a, it's an egregious intellectual error. Absolutely. Russell, let's just hold it there for a moment as we take a quick ad break. After the break, uh, our last 10 minutes with Russell Lamberti as we look at some of the alternatives they've made to the government's proposals. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to the IRR show. We are in conversation with Mr. Russell Lamberti, who is a analyst, really, economist at, at ETM, Macro Advisors. Russell, um, I think we're getting to the nub of the conversation, really, which is, you know, the, the folly of um, the various uh, 
or rather the folly of the um, approach to the state currently to the COVID thing and that how data right now is beginning to show that, you know, the response and how we've been dealing with this perhaps isn't the most efficient or even uh, necessary way of doing things. In the last sort of eight minutes that we have, I do want to pivot us towards, you know, um, and I saw this online, your your submission, the ETM submission to... Um, the Cocteau Department, uh, around, you know, what this period should look like in reality and what we should be focusing on. Um, but before I do that, I had one burning question I, I was sort of holding my tongue on. Um, you know, we'll be talking a lot about South Africa, but really this is a global problem where we've seen how politicians respond either, yes, through force, as our politicians have, or in another way, which is to essentially to corrupt markets and to distort markets. America, for example, the American president was dishing out $1,200 checks to everybody as part of the stimulus uh, spending for a problem that essentially they created with a lockdown of of keeping people away from productive um, endeavors. And and now you have the state sort of printing money in order to keep those people... um, uh, should I say happy? Um, why is that a problem, Russell? Because it's, it's a two-edged sword, isn't it? You can have violence, overt violence, or this mm-hmm. form of violence, if I can be a lefty for a moment, which is essentially co- corrupt markets and, and make mm-hmm. people think they're getting something and they're not. Well, look, I think I think we could draw a broad theme over over all of that, C. Claire, which is to say that governments love crises. They don't they don't dislike crises. Let's never forget that. Um, they love to, and if they don't have a real crisis, they'll manufacture one. Um, uh, Robert Higgs, I, I would recommend your listeners um, look at a book by Robert Higgs written in 1987 called Crisis and Leviathan. And Robert Higgs, um, who's a professor of history and economics um, in the United States, I think he's retired now, um, what he puts forward in this book is how the state grows in these, in this sort of stepped fashion, um, at times of crisis and it uses crises to obtain influence and power and bureaucratic reach. And it does it under the cloak of legitimacy that the crisis affords them. And that's precisely what we have in South Africa right now. And it's precisely what we have around the world. We know that there are large constituencies that have been baying before coronavirus, baying for basic income grants, for, for, for more money printing, for, for free checks, um, in the mail, uh, from, from the treasury. Um, all sorts of basically leftist, uh, corporatist sort of, uh, uh, bailout welfare state type thinking. And all that we have really with coronavirus is the, um, is the acceleration of, of those policies and the legitimization of those policies now under the cloak of the crisis, right? Um, we're seeing that with the securocrats in South Africa wanting to grow the reach of the police and the military. Uh, we're seeing that uh, with the socialists in the ANC under, you know, spearheaded, I suppose, by Ibrahim Patel um, to, to enact just um, an inordinate amount of petty Socialist-like regulations. I think that I think the regulations in the last month, just for coronavirus, are reaching somewhere around 500 pages, just in the last 30 days. Um, Hashtag so we, roast chicken. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so yeah, cook the chicken. So, so we um, we have a situation where uh, that they're using this as a cloak of legitimacy. So, Cecilia, it's a great point. There's this so much more I could say, but I'm, I'm in the interest of time, I'll sort of stop there. But I think you're 
absolutely right to hit on that on that issue that we're, we're seeing this crisis being used for um, for I think very nefarious political ends, and that's one of the reasons why I don't trust policymakers to be um, acting in entirely good faith on this issue. Um, I, I, th- I think that there are some good intentions, but I think that there is a lot around state power. Absolutely. And I'm going to actually ask you, in the interest of time, because we have our sort of last four minutes, um, you guys made some proposals, which I saw you shared on, on social media too. Do you want yeah. to get into those? So what you guys envision? Look, the, the, the simple idea here, guys, is that the lockdown, the, the only, first and foremost, the, the only true stimulus isn't getting checks in the mail, it's not borrowing more money, it's not printing more money, the only true stimulus is ending the lockdown. And the only real way to end the lockdown, um, is to end the lockdown. <laughs> okay. Which is to say that you, which is to say that you allow all activity, you allow all activity to resume, but what you can do, what you can do is limit certain activities that would be deemed high risk from the perspective of the spread of the virus to high risk groups. Now, we know that the high risk groups are older people. Um, and we know how the, we, we have a fairly good idea. We have a fairly good idea how the virus spreads. And we certainly think that it spreads in very densely populated uh, environments, right, where people are interacting in, in that sort of way. So a few simple risk-based rules um, that are not industry-specific, right, but that are activity-specific or that are um, environmental, environmentally-specific. In other words, um, we want to limit, for example, the density um, of, of human interaction for a while, okay, that will have some impact on public transport, that will have some impact on perhaps certain kinds of factories or certain kind of production processes, right? But what you do is you allow the entrepreneurs to innovate, to continue operating around those um, risk parameters. Um, and, of course, the, the other main risk parameter is age. So we want to limit the interaction of society, again, for a while. You can't do this forever, Um uh, you want to limit society's interaction with older people. So you want to have very, very clear rules around nursing homes, around certain kind of hospices and hospitals. Um, and you want to have perhaps rules around um, uh, people coming into work who are who are elderly, who are older, who happen to still be working. They might get um, a special dispensation to work from home or get special leave uh, pay or, or, you know, what have you. Um, but basically, once you've put in a few simple parameters – uh, businesses may then, all businesses may then open up and to the extent that they run foul of those parameters in their ordinary operations, they're at liberty to innovate around those things and to change the way they operate so that they can be compliant. And then what you have, final point guys, within what you have is you don't have five risk levels. You have two risk levels, risk on and risk off. And as long as you're at risk on, that means that the virus is considered a threat. Those very simple very um, uh, achievable risk parameters uh, are in play. And then when you announce risk off, they're not in play. And then companies can, can maintain uh, those, you know, those precautions that they're taking or they can lower them. Very, very simple. And it allows everyone basically to get back to work. And here's a shocking idea, guys to manage their own risks. <laughs> 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 on that, um, 
I'm struggle alert. I'm struggle for status, of course. Um, we'd like to thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you very much for your insights. Thanks, um, guys. Just very briefly, how do people find you? You know what, Cicely? I tweet at, uh, at Russ Lamberti. Uh, my website is etmmacro.com. And uh, between those two things and, and just uh, and perhaps interacting a little bit with the IRR, you'll, you'll come across me here and there. So, uh, yeah, that's how people can get, get hold of me. Fantastic. Fantastic. Excuse me. That's Russell Lamberti from ETM Macro Advisors. We're going to take a short break. After that, we'll wrap up the show. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Sarah, in the last sort of uh, three, four minutes that we have, mm-hmm. what are you going to be looking out for? Um, yeah, well, it has to be um, it has to be the various our stages of lockdown. What they end up being exactly, whether the government has paid any attention to the uh, recommendations that have come from private citizens, the private sector. Um, we'll be looking at it broadly in terms of what other people are doing in other, um, in, in other countries. Um, but it just strikes me, sorry, that one of the things that the government could look at is the extent to which supermarkets have operated throughout this time and people have gone to supermarkets. And as far as I know, there haven't been sort of mass outbreaks of the epidemic outside pick and pay. You know, uh, sorry, but sarcastic. But, but that's really about taking your business in hand and assessing how best to to deal with the potential risk. Mm. So I think it's really all going to be about that. And and obviously the extent to which uh, people um, say and do the sort of nasty things that our politics is is well known for that seem to be coming back uh, on track. Absolutely. And I, sorry, I was just going to say, um, I think it's also very important that we, we, we keep a check on the rhetoric used by the state because there has been a slight, uh, slight of hand, excuse that little fragment error, um, where, you know, we began by saying, um, right, quite rightly, uh, look, this, this, this virus will spread like any other virus um, that is airborne. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it has its that, that is its mo. Mm-hmm. The issue is back then we didn't know how severe it was, and mm-hmm. we were afraid of it um, uh, based on that spread. Um, its highly infectious rate, um, overwhelming hospitals. But now there seems to be a slight shift in the rhetoric. It's, it's actually quite. Um, a nefarious shift to saying, mm. hey, we should be trying to prevent that spread. Um, you know, it almost, um, you know, it, it, it's almost trying to set up this environment of a never-ending war, in inverted mm. commas, mm. with mm. the virus. And on, on that basis, um, then advocating for draconian means to mm. limit people's freedoms um, and the like. And I think we need to be We've very cautious. Very that's what I'll be watching for in yeah. the, the news cycle. Um, yeah. As we wrap up, let me... Uh, any last thoughts, uh, Sarah, before I wrap up? No, I have to, I have to agree with you. I think it's, uh, um, it, it's also going to be very interesting, just one specific, because it covers all of these issues. Every forum is going to court over the uh, tourism minister's insistence that BE criteria will play a role in applications for relief funding. And there's already been unnecessary language over that. So that's that we'll watch with interest. Absolutely. And on that uh, bombshell, we'll end the show over there. Remember, you can find all our writing, analysis, and opinion on our website. That's the www.dailyfriend.co.za. You can catch Sarah and other writers on there and also on our show through that medium. Remember, the Big Daddy Liberty Show is still up and running. Um, I'm going to be doing a live stream today and tomorrow. 
And of course, the usual show that I do on 5FM on Friday. Shout out to our producers, DJ Flo and Craig, for a wonderful show. And mm-hmm. a major thanks to again, again to our guest, Mr. Russell Lamberti. The show will be podcast, of course, on the Chai FM website. Guys, my name is Big Daddy Lipsy. You've been with Saragon too. And uh, we'll see you next week, Tuesday. <laughs>